0: Hello and welcome to the Digital Digest, your weekly data centers and telecoms news roundup podcast, published every Friday, brought to you by Capacity and Data Economy. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief Ron Lima, and with me I have our Editor-at-Large Alan Bucket-Gray, Deputy Editor Melanie Mingus, and Senior Reporters Abigail Opia and Natalie Bannerman. If there's an edition where we can call it the Billioness Podcast, it's this week's episode where we look at SoftBank's plans to sell $21 billion worth of T-Mobile US stock, Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund buying BT shares, Google's plans to invest $2 billion in a data center in Poland, Gigi Satellender's agreement to cut that by $1.6 billion, and other stories including Equinix's and Mesa's latest data centers. And to top it all off, we also look at the billionaires who are dominating the COVID-19 rich list. But kicking things off, Alan, starting with you, we have SoftBank, which this week unveiled plans to sell around two-thirds of its stake in T-Mobile US in order to raise $21 billion. This is one that would definitely uh, make the list of some of the largest sales in the industry. Um, what, what what do we know about it?
1: Well, yeah, I think if you remember, the third and fourth uh, fourth biggest mobile operators in the US merged on the 1st of April this year. That's T-Mobile US and Sprint, and Sprint's main shareholder... Before the merger was the Japanese telco and investment company, SoftBank, uh, which is now a big shareholder in the merged company, which is also called T-Mobile, just to confuse everybody. Uh, SoftBank, the problem is a real billionaire's nightmare. My associate son, who is the boss and uh, leading light of SoftBank, Um, the company's gone into a lot of problems over the last few years. It's a big shareholder in OneWeb, A satellite company that's now in bankruptcy protection, although apparently last night the UK government decided to take a stake in it. There's Uber, which is losing hundreds of millions a week. Uh, There's the German repayment or e-payment company Wirecard, which last week identified a 1.9 billion hole in its balance sheet. And and the last I heard was the CEO had been arrested in Germany Mm -hmm. and is on bail now. But And there's WeWork, which is a, a weird operation for an office rental company which somehow was a high-tech alternative to office rental companies nobody could quite understand and it's losing 100 million a year a week even before the pandemic started and of course now no one's renting offices by the day at all. So SoftBank needs to raise lots of money very quickly and it did this by selling off the biggest item in its uh, treasure chest which was most of its stake in T-Mobile US uh, left over from the, the merger. That's nearly $15 billion worth of shares. And over the next couple of years, Deutsche Telekom, which is the biggest shareholder in T-Mobile US, will have the option to buy almost all of SoftBank's remaining shares in the operation. And that should take the German operator up to a point where it owns more than 50% of T-Mobile US, which is... uh, I suppose most of us already assume that Deutsche Telekom was the biggest shareholder. It is, but it doesn't control it. Uh, It's a public company in the U.S. It's quoted on NASDAQ. Um, Why is this important? Well, T-Mobile U.S. is a big money earner for Deutsche Telekom. Mm. Uh, Remember, there's two rivals in the U.S. AT&T and Verizon. Uh, The two, the number one and number two or number one and uh, number two and number one in mobile industry in the US, they're the two of the biggest telcos in the world. They earn huge amounts of money. Uh, American rates for mobile calls are high compared with what people pay in the rest of the world. Um, So I think Deutsche Telekom sees a lot of cash coming from its US business over the next few years. I suppose there might be some other uh, implications if Deutsche Telekom has to buy. A lot of uh, shares or take up the options to buy the remaining shares in in, uh, T-Mobile US, it'll have less cash to spend on other projects uh, in Europe if it wants to expand. It was earlier this year, there was a big story that it wanted to acquire businesses across Europe. and, And I think we've seen over the last few weeks that the European Commission is probably going to be look favorably on mergers within Europe to consolidate. Um, Deutsche Telekom might not be able to take such a powerful position in that as it uh, used to be.
0: And, and yeah, funny enough, there was actually an article on um, on the FT looking at uh, m and within the telecom space, uh, Well, <laughs> the potential ones on the back of them approving um, this last few rounds. Um, and there seems to be an expectation of a bit of, a, I can't call it a boom, but an increase of buyouts in, um, in Europe. Um, yeah,
1: well, we've we've seen we've seen the O2 uh, potential merger with Virgin Media here in the UK, uh, and which O2 is owned by Telefonica, um, and I suspect that you know might be giving people the option to or, or giving people the green light to start looking at other mergers across the uh, mm. across Europe and we'll see fewer operators, more consolidation, uh, probably a more efficient business. We've got such a diverse range of operators across Europe that yes. uh, it makes it hard for them to make money.
0: Maybe a silly question. is there any similarities um, between what's happening now in the markets to what happened prior to the 2000s?
1: I think in the 2000s, what was from my memory uh, was that it was a land grab, that there were lots of operators from all over the world. BT, Dutch Telecom, uh, France Telecom as it was then, Orange Now, all the American operators that then existed, Bell South, they were just buying up or applying for mobile licenses all across the world. Bell South, for example, had an operation in New Zealand. I think that's what's now Vodafone New Zealand, but it was a long time ago. Um, Everyone was buying up operations all over the world. There was Hutchison in Hong Kong, which created the original orange in the UK uh, before it then created three. Everybody was just land grabbing everywhere because they didn't know how big the market was going to be. They just thought Mm. the essential thing was to have a presence. So I think we're seeing the reverse of that now, Zhao. I think we're seeing everyone's pulling back, so we'll see fewer operators in fewer countries. And maybe some big ones, maybe, you know, Deutsche Telekom is a big one with a big presence across Europe and the US now. Orange is big in Africa and Europe. Tim uh, Telecom Italia is just uh, South America and Italy, but Telefonica is big. But then it's it's uh, um, losing some of its Latin American, South American operations. Mm. So I think it's 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 withdrawal rather than advance. We saw ten years of advance, and now we're seeing a few years of withdrawal. Mm, okay, sounds great.
0: Uh, well, <laughs> and, uh, well, great.
1: <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting anyway. Yeah,
0: you know what I mean by great. Um, but then another big story that you also covered this week was um, Digicel, whose lenders have now agreed to cut debt by $1.6 billion and interest by $125 million a year. Um, yeah. What can you tell us about, about Digicel?
1: Well, here we're going from a giant operator in the US to a relatively small business, mm. but one that's stretched out over... Uh, 32 markets, mainly in the Caribbean and Central America, but also some Pacific islands. Uh, it's owned by Dennis O'Brien, who's a, a very important Irish businessman. Uh, he's uh, years ago ran the first independent mobile operator in Ireland, and then he sold it to BT uh, during the whole land grab era, uh, I've just been talking about. And then he invested in Jamaica, and from there spread across the region and to a number of other places. Um, trouble is he's run up lots of debt over the time. He's got more than seven billion dollars worth of debt, which is actually very similar to the amount of money he said he'd invested in the region since he started. Uh, so I don't know what happened to the money. Um, so he's been doing some financial negotiations because he said uh, earlier this year that that debt was unsustainable. I mean, the company is keeping going, you know, nobody's cut off services or anything like that, but he's obviously got to reduce his debt. So he's been doing some financial negotiations with his lenders uh, to push the date when he has to pay it back. Uh, he's managed to kick it, you know, a few years down the down the pitch. Uh, that's a mixed metaphor, but you know what I mean. <laughs> the trouble is his debt is three times annual turnover, according to the figures released of months ago. His operating profit is about 480 million dollars a year which sounds good but it's not much when you've got to yeah. pay interest rates and you've got a big debt to service uh, and this week the negotiations managed to cut his annual payments by about 125 million so it's about a quarter uh, he's reduced his, his annual interest payments by about a quarter, which I suppose is the start. But what long-term is, I wouldn't want to speculate. Uh, well, he tried to do a share sale, um, a share flotation a few years ago, um, and the market was wrong. I mean, the problem with Digicel um, and all these smaller operators is they're very successful when they've got a lot of incoming travelers, a lot of roaming rates. The Caribbean islands have a lot of Americans coming for holidays, a lot of Brits coming for holidays, visiting family and so on. And we don't have any travellers at the moment, so we don't have any roaming rates. And that's bound to cut all these smaller operators' income by quite a substantial Mm -hmm. amount. So they've basically got to survive on their local economy, which isn't always enough. So I think we haven't heard the last of uh, Dennis O'Brien. I think uh, this story might uh, return over the next year or so.
0: Mm, Okay, sounds like we're going to see some consequences out of the pandemic as well on them. Um, Indeed. uh, So, okay, so going from the the Caribbean now over to Saudi Arabia, two very different markets. um, $325 billion public investment fund has reportedly been building a stake in BT um, on the upper markets in recent weeks, with its health currently trading at its lowest price in more than a decade. Um, Natalie, you've covered this story for us. What's going on with BT's um, shareholding?
2: Yeah, so as you mentioned, it seems that Saudi Arabia is in the middle of a bit of a shopping spree at the moment. Uh, since the COVID-19 outbreak, the country's uh, the $325 billion public investment fund has been on the hunt for uh, a number of bargains with global share prices um, across the spectrum um, currently in decline. Uh, other investments, just just to be aware, of the investments that the fund has made um, has been the $1.5 billion stake in India's geo platforms, as well as stakes in other companies like Facebook, Disney, um, Royal Dutch Shell, and uh, Bank of America. America, just to name a few. So certainly not just BT on the uh, horizon. Uh, Earlier this week, it confirmed that the Kingdom was building a stake in the UK's BT on the open markets. No exact percentage or sum has been shared. Um, But as you mentioned, the the public company has seen its share price fall to its lowest in more than a decade. As of uh, Friday the 19th, shares were uh, at 118.55 pence, down uh, from a price of 200 pence in uh, December 2019. So that's almost a drop of Or within a six month period. Um, this all follows the company's uh, FY19 results published in May, where BT announced that it would suspend its 2019 to 20 final dividend, as well as all dividends for 2020 to 21, um, though this was due to uh, COVID 19 and safeguarding funds. Um, revenues also were down 2% for the same period last year and were due to the impact of regulation, declines in legacy products, uh, strategic reductions in low margin business, and divestment. So all in all, it's a pretty uh, business savvy move from um, Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. They're they're on the hunt for a a bargain um, while um, share prices are down. Um, I think the biggest question everybody's asking right now for companies like BT is, will this be a temporary blip and will things bounce back once the economy roars back into action? Or are we seeing kind of a a long term um, slump for the company as a whole? So yeah certainly something that we're going to be keeping an eye out but um can't can't help Saudi Arabia for wanting to get a bargain we all like a bargain
1: and I remember also Natalie that the biggest shareholder in BT is Deutsche Telekom and certainly there were very strong rumours a few years ago that Deutsche Telekom wanted ultimately to buy BT. Absolutely. Um, that could well happen still but um, and it, I mean, if you look at the share price over the last three years since it bought EE from uh, Deutsche Telekom and Orange its share, share price has just collapsed entirely. So it's uh, if it's worth anything uh, now, probably now is the chance but interesting the Saudi Arabians <laughs> have decided to die in there absolutely
0: yeah. uh, well th- this is the normal thing that um, countries like Saudi Arabia do it's when something globally happens they will go out and start buying a lot um, not even just within the telecom space if you look at the real estate space there's a lot of buildings out there especially skyscrapers, that have been bought by Saudi Arabia um, a bit all over the world in the last few months um, but yeah definitely on the BT side we're definitely gonna keep an eye on that one because um, also it will depend on how long um this crisis will continue from Saudi Arabia moving now into Europe we were slash in Europe already with BT, uh, but now in the data center space. Uh, we got another big boost from Google this week. Um, it has news that the search engine giant plans to invest up to $2 billion in a single data center to support cloud services in Poland. Abigail, we've seen a few a couple of months back, we saw Microsoft announcing its own project for Poland, uh, a $1 billion data center, uh, which they would build it in what they call the Polish Digital Valley. I mean, tell us more about this Google data center. I remember last time we had a big discussion about Poland becoming a key market um, in the European space, in the, the CE, But what's what's going on with Google now?
3: Yeah, you're absolutely right with uh, Microsoft first and now Google. So Google set to invest two billion in a data center to support cloud services in Poland, according to a Polish um, paper that broke the story first. Um, the paper said that the Warsaw Google Cloud region will be set up in the capital as a technical and programming infrastructure hub for Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, Google Cloud recently announced that it is forming a strategic partnership with Poland's domestic cloud provider to help Polish businesses take advantage of cloud. So this announcement would have been the natural progression following this anyway. The Polish um, deputy minister um, J- Jadwick Emilwick told the paper that she estimates Google could invest anywhere between 1.5 billion to 2 billion in this project. So, this will reportedly be Google's largest ever investment in Poland. Um, the company's region in Poland will have three zones to protect against service disruptions and will launch with the company's portfolio of key products, including Compute Engine, um, App Engine, Google Kubernetes Engine, Cloud Bigtable, and Cloud Spanner. Last year, Google CEO Sundar Pichard visited Warsaw, where he announced Google's commitment of 20 million for digital skill programmes across the CEE region. On top of uh, the recently announced region in Warsaw, um, the Alphabet Cloud Arm has announced it will be launching additional cloud regions in India, Qatar, Australia, Canada, like the list is really, like it could go on. So I will certainly be keeping a close eye on Google because this is, this is going to be one of many um, data center announcements.
0: Mm. Oh, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, they're out there to really try to build one of the largest footprints for for public cloud, which they have. Uh, I can't remember if they are second or third in the world because Amazon is still the biggest one, AWS. But they are really after that opportunity to become the biggest, um, together with Microsoft. Microsoft is trying the same. Um, But Google has all these points of presences with their CDN, um, and that's all meant to be converted into edge data centers, which will then make... Make them the largest edge data center provider in the world. Um, But that's been something that they were talking about back in 2016, 15, 16. So it doesn't really seem to have materialized in the way they were talking about at the time. But I'm sure they will still be doing a lot of things around that. But actually, staying in the data center space, and we do, Abigail, as well, do expansions that grabbed our attention included Equinix's Dallas Informat Data Center campus in the US. Um, with the opening of its new 142 million uh, IBX data center and the launch of its 5G and edge proof of concept center. Um, and then over in the middle, over in um, Qatar, uh, MESA, which has started work on its fourth data center uh, in preparations for the arrival of hyperscales in the Gulf states, has also made headlines. Um, start with you, Abigail, and then Melanie will talk about the MESA one. But, Abigail, what, um, why has Equinix... Carry on building out um, its footprint in Dallas. Um, they bought Informat just a couple of years ago.
3: Yeah, so I was quite surprised because I actually covered the story um, when they first bought Informat. Um, oh. it, was it 2018? Correct me if I'm oh, wrong. Really um, <laughs> yeah, but so I think the move just supports growing demand for companies to accelerate the uh, um, evolution for traditional digital businesses by scaling infrastructure. So when they initially bought um, the land, the natural uh, progression would have been to start building data centers on top of it. So this comes at a very interesting time when Equinix decided to announce the expansion of the Dallas Informat data center campus with the opening of 142 million IBX data center. And um, interestingly, they attached the launch of a 5G and edge proof concept center as well, which I haven't heard of a data center company doing both at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, The company said that the Dallas region is a major communication hub for the southern United States with a concentration of telecommunication companies. Um, well, all, all fa- When all the phases are finished the facility is expected to provide a total capacity of more than 3850 cabinets and colocation space of more than 144,000 square feet and the Equinix 5G and edge proof center will provide a 5G and edge sandbox environment if you like uh, which will allow mobile networks operators cloud platforms technology vendors and enterprises to directly connect with an edge data center platform in order to test 5g and edge deployments um, the new data center is the ninth data center facility um that equinix currently owns in the dallas metro and the second building um on the company's growing dallas informat campus so they've already got one and now they've added this um new 142 million one um in america equinex operates more than 90 ibx data centers located in the americas sorry that includes central america um brazil canada colombia mexico and the united states as a whole uh, one thing i found quite interesting about equinex is the pace at which they choose to expand as it always seems to be like very well thought out it's not like jam Together. So, yeah, big numbers from both my stories Google and Equinix.
0: And I'm sure this is not the last we're going to see from Equinix um, this year and anytime soon. They'll carry on expanding. Uh, and Melanie, in, in Qatar, why is Mesa's expansion important?
4: Well, it's important because the tiny Gulf state of Qatar has been ramping up its digital economy for a few years now, um, as part of its wider economic diversification plans. Um, Its population is 2.8 million right now, which is like less than a third of the population of London. Um, So it's heavily dependent on expatriate workers and it's looking to create a technologically sophisticated economy, um, not only to reduce that dependence, but also to wean itself from oil revenues. Um, Now, Qatar is at a point where it's in need of what one spokesperson has called leading world experts in the tech industry, um, i.e hyperscalers now this all comes back to vision 2030 which has cropped in a few news stories recently and as natalie explained earlier saudi arabia is also on a spending spree right now um as is the uae but vision 2030 has been the center point of all non-oil economic activity for some time not only in qatar but also in the nations that currently comprise the gcc um and the whole point of this is that as i said earlier they can't depend on oil forever um, and in the past this has seen shakes and sovereign wealth funds um, across these countries collect a number of bizarre wonderful wonderful assets. We're talking football clubs, lots of those. Some shakes own multiple football clubs. Um, Two Swords Theme Park Group, Four Seasons, etc., etc. Um, now Qatar, through various investment funds and entities, owns Miramax Studios. They own Harrods, The Shard, Valentino. They have the world's largest private collection of fine art, dozens of things. And the country and its sovereign wealth funds have stakes in dozens more. Um, and there's been some real personality in these purchases and investments in the past, but they're starting to get far more strategic now, and tech is one of the sectors um, that Qatar wants to be known for. Um, you know, it wants to use tech for environmental conservation, resource reduction, education, healthcare, and also to encourage national investment. Um, and naturally, cloud services are going to be a huge part of that. Now, Vision 2030 in the documentation doesn't specifically mention hyperscalers, but it does mention extensive IoT applications, bold ambitions for business and smart cities, um, and the first smart city under construction. Um, now, on a business level, MISA, which incidentally is backed by Cartel Foundation, so essentially the government, will play a part in the infrastructure that this will demand. But it knows that it will need others to enter the market, too. Um, and this is what's kind of starting to happen right now. So a few months ago, we had an announcement from Microsoft. Um, they're going to obviously, um, they have a facility now that is approved. So there's obviously going to be more announcements from them. Um and we're expecting more announcements from Misa um, and other international players, which have yet to arrive in this market, um, this is very much one to watch um, because they still need that technologically sophisticated economy. And as they get close to the year 2030, um, and don't forget, they still potentially have the 2022 World Cup. Um, There's going to be a lot more of this. Um, so bets on who could be next to announce the facility.
0: Yeah, well, the World Cup, I know it's not very telecoms to talk about, but the World Cup... Um, just got another hit this week, because I think it was a thousand workers got infected, um, at least got detected this week. So there's another PR stunt for them right there. Um, very interesting country. I mean, they, they have a lot of money to do pretty much whatever they want. Uh, I think Bahrain is another one in the region to keep an eye out. Um, yes. Uh, we've seen some hyperscalers going in. I think Microsoft has done stuff there. AWS has done stuff in Bahrain. I think they actually do have a data center there as well. Um So definitely two rich countries, I think we can call it that, um, Mm -hmm. that we can keep an eye out because they'll be able to build whatever digital environment um, they want to build. Um,
4: Exactly, as long as the oil price stays okay. We'll see.
0: (laughs) Especially after November, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then quickly over to South Africa now. Gameloft Business Solutions has launched MTN A new mobile gaming subscription platform available to all MTN customers in South Africa, a booming market for digital services. Natalie, again, coming back to you, you covered this story. Why is this an important story and how is gaming growing um, in South Africa?
2: Yeah, so as you mentioned, um, Gameloft is a French uh, video game publisher and they teamed up with MTN to launch um, MTN Arcade. Um, it's available to all customers in the country for a fixed daily subscription fee. Um, I didn't really dig into the subscription fee because I don't really think either of us are going to be using it. But as a result, um, all, all users of MTN Arcade will have access to about like, hundreds of games, all genres, as well as exclusive features like uh, tournaments, esports, events, or from a single um, platform envi- environment. Um, so a very, a very, uh, a very um, clever, you know, piece of. Uh- platform. But um, as we know, subscription-based business models are kind of prevalent at the moment. Gaming content, particularly during this pandemic, um, that sees everybody at home with a lot more time on their hands all adds to the uptick in usage. Um, Additionally, mobile is the most popular way to access the internet across much of Africa and Southern Asia. You know, it's cheaper and there's often a lack of basic infrastructure like electricity that make fixed line a lot more more of an obstacle. So it certainly comes as no surprise that uh, mobile gaming was the natural move there. Um, Interestingly, the partnership also marks the launch of Um, Gameloft Business Solutions, a provider of gaming solutions specifically for carriers and manufacturers. Um, It's a vertical that I personally think will continue to see grow as telcos um, increasingly begin to address the gaming needs of its customers and start to view it as a business segment in its own right. this is due to, um, you know, the scale required from from its customers, as well as, um, you know, global um, mobile game users, I think, is in excess of about 1 billion, if not more. Um, the network demands not only from a capacity standpoint, but also due to the kind of uh, edge connectivity that is required for both latency and availability. is all something that I think moving forward will have its own set of requirements and supports. So really, what this story is telling me is really the start of you know very specific solutions and services for um, gaming in the wholesale space and, and kind of meeting those customer needs.
0: Okay sounds like a lot of business opportunities coming over um, and then on to our final story of the week uh, special edition reach list analyzing the impact of COVID-19 on the fortunes of the world's in quotes most successful entrepreneurs has been dom- dom- dominated by executives from across the tech and communications landscape. Melanie, what does this list tell us uh, apart from the fact that we're all very poor?
4: Well, um, it tells a lot about the 1%, as we know there is no shortage of rich people um, and as a result there is no shortage of rich lists, um, but they always spark debate don't we, over the morality of extreme wealth um, and that's why this one is very interesting because it demonstrates what a lot of people consider to be capitalism's biggest flaw and that is accumulating wealth on the back of a global health emergency. Um, now this new list is an update on the Huron Global Rich List which came out in February um, and it looks at how the fortunes of the wealthy change between the initial 2020 list and the end of May. Um, for example, Eric Yuan from Zoom was in position 555 in February, and he is now almost in the top 100. And that is based purely on the popularity of Zoom during lockdown, which is quite phenomenal. Um, but it's always the same names, isn't it? Zuckerberg, Gates, Brin, Page. Um, in mid-April, we heard that Jeff Bezos had gained a further 24 billion in the first few weeks of European and US lockdowns. Um, and don't forget also over that time, while most people were facing hardship, he created another billionaire when he divorced his wife um, and she actually features on part of this new list even though she isn't like one of the tech brains that we're talking about. Um, but anyway the, this list particularly cuts the data a few different ways. So if you look specifically at wealth creation in the four months to the end of May the top three people all derive their wealth from online retails. That's Huan Zeng from Pinduoduo and Jeff McKenzie. Um, but when then the authors of this list compared the wealth of the top 10 on the 31st of January with the 31st of May. That list was dominated by tech and telecoms. So seven of the 10 spots were taken by Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, and another new name, Reliance Industries. Um, mm-hmm. So Reliance Chairman, yeah, Makesh Ambani, previously he was only Asia's richest man. He is now among the world's top 10 richest people, and he's also the only Asian tycoon to feature in the official global top 10. Um, Now, this is where things get really interesting, um, I find, because this list kind of mixes the person and the company a little bit. Um, But that's where the ray of sunshine is for me in this story as well, because in May, Reliance Industries launched India's biggest ever rights issue to pay down 44 billion in debts. Um, They've raised more than 20 billion since from major international equity funds, sovereign wealth funds, tech firms, and all those entities want a stake, both in the Indian market today and the new services that can be introduced in future. Um, So not only is Reliance, managed to leverage its market position to transform its own kind of business outlook but it's been timed in such a way that they've actually been able to bring e-commerce innovations to everyday people in India during lockdowns Um, and they're also heavily invested in this digital future for the country which is kind of similar to Qatar's future Um, vision for its country as well. Um, And that's going to enable in India, for example, small vendors to reach new markets. It's going to enhance education. It's going to drive new areas of business. Like it truly has the power to transform society um, and, you know, really enhance social mobility in the country. Um, And just look at how microfinance, for example, is already transforming communities. And it gives you an idea of just how far just one element of their business plan could go. Um, And as we kind of take stock of the lockdowns um, and COVID-19 in the last few months, as we all kind of come out of these lockdowns, I think it's worth considering the wider story here because we often see that the market's open to exploitation but it's also open to a lot of opportunity and in a way that really took the edge off this rich list for me.
0: Hmm, no, that so sounds interesting apart from the fact that we are really far away from making that list. <laughs> um, Unless
4: you want to marry Jeff Bezos and that's probably the quickest way to get on a rich list well, these days. But now we would only get like 25% of his,
0: his fortune so... I mean, what's 25%? Yeah. 50 billion or hundred billion? I mean, I'm well, it's sure number seven in the
4: global top 10. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not sure I could live with just that. Um, i want to be part of the 1% of the 1%. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, jokes aside. Well, thank you, Melanie. And thank you everyone. Before we turn off for the week, um, I would just like to remind, to remind our listeners and readers that we are currently seeking your help to find the 50 edge computing leaders within the global data economy. And we are also on the lookout for the top 20 women driving in the telecom sector forward. Um, and as if that wasn't enough, we are also conducting an in-depth uh, survey on the state of the market, telecommunications market, sorry. Um, and you can find all the links to these activities in the description of this episode of the Digital Digest. Um, with that said, it's that time of the week for me to say we we are done with this week's Digital Digest. Thank you to our listeners uh, at home and do join us again next week when we talk about top stories that will make the headlines over the next seven days. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to both Data Economy and Capacity. And from me and the team, have a good weekend.